Morning church family, thanks for chancing the roads today to join us for worship. We want to choose, make a choice, because we made it all the way here to engage the presence of the Lord today. So I want to invite you all to stand with us. We're just going to join in celebration because he, he has redeemed us. I don't know, is that, is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a very good thing. Let's celebrate that reality today. What does it mean to be saved? Isn't it more than just a prayer to pray? More than just a way to heaven?
of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going.
like you believe that today. There is power in the name of Jesus. Call it out. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain.
worthy of our praise. And we know that as we call on your name, as we cry out your name, there is power. That the schemes of the enemy are broken at the foot of your cross by the power of your name. That the lies of the enemy are bound up and replaced by your truth, the power of your name. That our lives are, are transformed and, and our minds are renewed by the power of your name. The lost are found at the power of your name. The sick are healed at the power of your name. Relationships are restored by the power of your name. You said, behold, I make all things new. And you know what? We just simply believe that. Just believe it by the power of your name. We are redeemed today. We, we have celebrated that. We've sung about that. And, and the reality is it's all because of who you are and what you have done for us. That, that we celebrate that, that there is freedom in our lives. That there is an inexpressible uh, peace and joy that, uh, that, that the world doesn't quite comprehend. It just flows out of us because of who you are and what you have done. The power of your name. Jesus. 
your testimony today. We just say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite our ushers, and I, I hope we have some ushers. I know a couple of them were snowed in today. Thank you, guys. Jesus, we honor you today through our giving. Thank you for the provision that has come and for the provision that is coming. Take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it, build your church with it, we pray in Christ's name. couple of things I want to do before we dig into our sermon. I want to invite Pastor Scott and Sarah to come on up here. Both of them got just a little bit older this week. We got 40-something and 20-something. I'm not going to give the details on that, right? But hey, I think they deserve a happy birthday from us. Can we just celebrate that? You're welcome. We love you um, and are so glad you're part of our church family. Of course, I'm very glad you're part of our church family as well. Uh, but we just want you to know you matter to us and um, you impact us. And we thank you for your ministry here and all that God is doing in you and through you. So one more time, let's just thank you. I want to invite Elena Gonzalez as well to come up and join me. Last week, um, Cynthia Seitz was up here presenting, uh, just sharing with uh, this new ministry we're getting launched. So if you'll just share a few things about that as well, Elena, that would be great. As long as I can remember, I've had a, a heart for women and for um, discipleship. And uh, when we were in California, yes, for some of those California people, we apologize now to all of them. Um, but when we were in California, I had a, a very vibrant discipleship ministry going. It was a one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It is something that th the Lord has called us to, not just women, but men as well, to come to a deeper understanding, to begin to form not just a chain, but chain mail. As I have a Timothy, somebody that I can mentor, as I have somebody who mentors me, Michael, and Barnabas on either side to encourage me. That's kind of what we're trying to develop here, is to grow deeper in the word, to find out what it is that Christ wants us to do as, um, in this case, as women of faith. And, um, and so that's what we're trying to, to develop here. I have seen the questionnaire. I know it. It's long. But the reason that it's long is that we really want to know 
a little bit more about you. If this is something that is laid on your heart, that you want to grow deeper in your faith, that you want to really begin to experience what, what God really wants for us, what he wants to pour into us, what he wants us to pour out into others, then please come see me in the back. And if you have any questions, come talk to me. I'll be more than happy to answer whatever questions you have. But I really encourage you to pray about this and see if this is something that you want to take part in. Awesome. Thank you, Lena. Great stuff. Great stuff. <clears throat> I want to invite you to the book of Exodus today. So we move on from Genesis, where we've spent the last few weeks, into the book of Exodus. And we're going to be in chapter 3. So let me uh, remind us where, where we're at in history here. Um, Jacob and his sons, his 12 sons, because of his son Joseph and all the, all the story around Joseph, they end, up in, they end up in Egypt. And it starts out really good. Egypt is, is a place that is very favorable towards Jacob and his sons towards Israel, towards the Hebrews. But what happens over time is a new king, a, a new pharaoh comes into leadership in Egypt. And he is not connected to Joseph or Jacob and, and the story. All that this pharaoh sees is this huge group of people. Because they've just been growing and growing and growing and growing and expanding. And he is overwhelmed with fear by what he sees with this huge group of people living in his land. So he begins to oppress them. And we enter into um, a, a pivotal part of Israel's story where, where Israel is, is, is in slavery for about 400 years. Okay, so a an extremely long, a extremely long amount of time where the oppression is just increases, increases, and increases, and basically by the time Moses shows up on the scene, obviously with four hundred years having passed, all that all that the Hebrews that are alive that they've known is slavery in Egypt. They only have heard stories of freedom. Now. What the king does, or what the Pharaoh does, is um, he determines that the, the way he's going to control the, the Hebrew population is he's going to kill all the male babies at birth. Man, that just starts sounding really close to home. And in America, where killing babies at birth now just seems to be okay with so many. And let's continue, church, to grieve that and to pray into that and to pray that there will be some kind of change in our country. But the king decides that he's going to do this to control the Hebrew population. So Moses is born, and he, this happens in chapter 1 of, of Exodus. And, and his mom basically puts him in a basket and, and places him in the Nile River. And just prays that somehow, some way, he'll be spared. <coughs> he floats up to Pharaoh's daughter of all people. She pulls him out of the water, 
pulls them right into the kingdom of, of Egypt, into Pharaoh's household, and they raise Moses as one of their own sons. There's an event that takes place where when, when, when Moses, as, as an adult, um, sees some Hebrews being abused, by some Egyptians, and he reacts because he knows this is his people. And even though he's looking like an Egyptian, has been raised by Egyptians, he's still a Hebrew in his heart of hearts. And he, he attacks the people that are attacking his people, kills them, and he flees from Egypt. And we, we pick up the story where Moses has been living out in Midian, um, I think we can just basically call it uh, Saudi Arabia now, if you want to think about the map. I'm pretty sure that's the correct landscape, geography. But we pick it up where, where Moses, he, he's gotten married, and, and he's, he's lived away from Egypt, from his people, for, for a number of years now. And uh, right, at, right at verse 1 of chapter 3, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now let's pause there for a moment because I want to explain. It's called the mountain of God as it's written here, but understand that at the moment that this story is happening, that's not what this mountain is known as. What we need to realize is at the time that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible are written, were towards the end of Moses' life, okay? And he puts this down. So as he is writing this, or as he's having it written, he's reflecting on this mountain being called the mountain of God. And that's what it's going to become known as. In fact, this week and next week's stories are completely connected to this mountain, Mount Horeb. But, but he's leading the flock to this mountain, who he later dubs the mountain of God. The, there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So he thought to himself, I'm going to go over there and see this strange sight. Why is this bush not burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And the Lord went on to say, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. Imagine this moment where everything about who you are is highlighted by this conversation. I am revealing myself to you now, Moses. I am the God of your, of your father. Your, 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 your real, true heritage, not the home that you were raised in, but the people that you saw and, and knew as your people, and, and even the, the, the ones that you 
you stepped in to try to protect that instinct that you had in you, Moses. I am the God of that family, your family. Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out (coughs) because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's currently the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and the Termites. I'm sure there was some, but that's not written down there, is it? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I would imagine that there was a pause, some some silence, as Moses has just heard this instruction. He's like, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What's, what's great is that God's response has nothing to do with Moses. I will be with you. You see, that is, that is our qualifier, church. Re- regardless of how inadequate we may feel in the moment, how inadequate we may feel at the task at hand that the Lord has put us to, He says, I am with you. I'm with you, Moses. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You're going to go there and you're going to bring them out. And when you bring them out, you're going to head straight back here. And you will know, you will see, you will experience that I will be with you. Okay, um, so suppose I agree to this. Suppose I just packed up my bags and, and, and head that direction. Suppose I go to the Israelites, these people that really have only uh, seen me in, in a certain format as, as a functioning Egyptian. But suppose that I show up to them after all these years that I've been away. Suppose I go back and, and I show up to the Israelites and I say to them, hey guys, the, the God of your fathers has shown up to me he was he was in a burning bush and the, and the bush wasn't burning but but he was there and the bush started talking to me i mean can you imagine sharing this story with these people what their 
<coughs> I mean, he's playing this out in his head going, yeah, okay, so suppose I do all this. The God of your fathers has sent me to you after hundreds of years of being oppressed, all the prayers that you've been praying in your own way, begging for deliverance from this. Suppose I show up and tell them that it's time that you've sent me to help them escape, to, to walk out of Egypt. And they ask me, well, what is your name? What should I tell them? And God said, I am who I am. I am the I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. I am. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. It's really, really an, an interesting declaration, an interesting statement, this phrase, I am. It, 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 to me, it, it not only declares who he is, but it speaks directly to who we are as well and, and, and our connection with him, how we, what we have to overcome to relate to him. See, again, he's having this conversation with Moses. As Moses has already declared with his mouth, well, who am I? Who am I in, in, in this world that you would pick me to go to them to have them delivered out of slavery? Who am I? And who are you? You see, when, when we use the phrase, I am, there's usually a fill-in-the-blank that follows that, right? I am a man. I am a woman. I am a husband. I am a wife. I am a father. I am a mother. I am a son. I am a daughter. I am a carpenter. I am a teacher. I am a counselor. I am an insurance agent, I am a neighbor, I am fill in the blank. And where we really connect with Moses is with our inadequacies. I am falling short. I am not strong enough. I am not smart enough. I am not good enough. I am not eloquent enough. I am not fill in the blank. And that is so often the truth about us. And we see ourselves all over this story. We're, we're right where Moses is at and where he's like, who am I? 
says, I am not qualified for this position, this role, this journey that you are telling me I need to go on. I am not the guy. In fact, his argument continues right through the end of chapter 3 on into into chapter 4. God finally relents and says, all right, I'm sending you Aaron, your brother, and he's going to come and he's going to stand right beside you and he's going to be your helper in this. Since since really, Moses, you kind of refuse to just go ahead and buy in and, and fully agree to this plan. And you can see when the, the reason I wanted to spend the time with Abraham that we did leading up to today is you can see Abraham and Moses standing side by side. Abraham's like, huh? he just jumps right in. There's no debate. There's no arguing. There's it, it's what, what did we hear about Abraham early the next morning? He saddled his donkey and he left. This is not the response of Moses. But probably why we connect so much more to Moses is because we, (laughs) at least I do. I'm not going to presume this on you, but I'm just, I'm testifying to you today. I, I am so much like Moses here. I am not good enough. I'm not fill in the blank. But who are you? And his response is, I am. Period. You see, with God, there really is no fill in the blank for him. It's the indescribable aspect of who the Almighty is. When you go to the people of Israel, and and you declare this name, they're going to understand in their very souls that you are referring to me, the one who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who, who put into motion this thing called life, this world, this universe. I am, period. And by this name, I will be known. You will refer to me this way from generation to generation. (coughs) Moses buys into the, the plan and as we know heads to Egypt where there's a lot of drama that unfolds. By the time that that Israel that this this brand new unit, this brand new nation that, that begins to walk out of Egypt, by the time that unfolds, all kinds of craziness and drama has unfolded, even in, in the midst of their own ranks. But one miracle after another after another, I mean, we're talking widely visible, widely known miracles that God comes and does one after another, after another, after another, until finally Pharaoh relents and lets them go. (coughs) And this is where the story of the Passover and the Exodus events, this book is named after exiting Egypt, exiting slavery into freedom. And 
the reason this burning bush story is, is, is so pivotal is because you can fast forward all the way to Jesus where you see him directly reference this event. He's just had the Passover meal with his disciples. You see, the Passover event in Exodus happens, and, and then they are later instructed to reflect on this event every single year at the same time. He puts into place a feast that every year Jews, and they still do it, and we will do it on Good Friday this year. Everyone's invited to that. I, I hope you plan on attending it. But we will walk through this Passover meal together, and Jesus has just done so with his disciples again, a thing that they have done every year of their whole lives, generation, generation, all leading all the way back to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, Mountain of God. And <clears throat> they've just left the Passover meal, and they've headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows, and he's really talked to them about this. He's, he's basically said, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And the Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ is about to unfold. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's instructed his disciples that are there with him at this time to, to pray, to pray hard, fervently. And in John chapter 18, we see his version of, of what happens. And it's quite poignant. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas... One of the disciples who was the one who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. They were ready for a fight. <coughs> Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Who are you looking for? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And in our English translation here, it says, I am he, Jesus said. But really in, in the Greek or the, or the Aramaic, he, he just simply says, I am. When Jesus said, I am, look what happens. They drew back and fell to the ground. Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, I told you, I am. And if you're looking for me, then let these men go. And then the story unfolds from there. In the heat of the moment, in, in, in this, in this crossroads of, an, uh, of history, when he is coming and he's being betrayed by a kiss and, and, he, and he asks, who is it that you're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, his response is, 
And he goes all the way back to the burning bush. I am. with, And there must have been such force that came forth from his mouth that it knocked the soldiers, it knocked the men who were standing in front of him down. As the power of the name of Jesus Again, with our, with our tendency to have this viewpoint of ourselves that we are not fill in the blank. Which in some ways is a really good, humble approach. Yet at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he and he alone is Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. It's not just a cool song that we choose to sing from time to time, but there's a declaration to that that is fundamentally true and should be fundamentally lived out from within who we are. That when we're referring to Jesus, when we use his name, when we call on his name, we are referring to the I am, the indescribable God of all the universe has been summed up in in, in a five-letter word, Jesus. The one who was betrayed for us. The one who suffered for us. The one who was crucified for us. And the one who overcame death and the destruction of sin for us. Jesus. See, there really is something about that name. So much so that it would empower a Moses to become the Moses that we have known. So much so that it would empower a fisherman by the name of Peter who did nothing but just mess up time and time again. And it would transform him into a world changer as well. You see, we, we're here today in this room worshiping Jesus because some people a long time ago chose to do the same thing with their inadequacies, with their I am not fill in the blank realities. They allowed the power of Jesus to transform them. That is made available to us today that that is our or can be or should be our reality today is that your journey let's just think about your journey for a moment has that been reflected in your life 
Jesus. Maybe some of us have had burning bush moments. And maybe some of us have have come to know you in other ways. Not as dramatic, but just as real. And I'm sure that all of us have struggled with the notion that you, the God of all the universe, would see in us things beyond ourselves. Things beyond our our normal low self-esteem viewpoints. Seeing beyond our I am nots. And in the midst of all of that, you remind us, I am, period, is all we really need your presence in our lives it's all that Moses needed (coughs) and he realized that once he finally agreed to that and began to walk out what you asked him to do he began to realize it was your presence all along that that provided one miracle after another after another after another One display of your power after another until finally all of Israel walked out of Egypt into freedom, heading towards the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And this picture is a representation of of our salvation, of our journey out of sin, out of the bondage of sin, into freedom. Not by our own might, not by our own um, strength, but only by the grace and presence of God in our lives does our deliverance happen. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith not by works, so no one can boast. This is our testimony. This is our story. It's our reality. And so we can sing today, I am redeemed, and we can celebrate in that, but but are we experiencing your power released in us and through us? Are we calling on the name of Jesus Are we continuing to walk in the midst of your presence day in and day out, experiencing you and your power flowing 
man, that is what you wanted. That's, that's why you went on to say it's for freedom that Christ has, has set you free. Do you want this kind of freedom perpetuated in our lives? Not just in a salvation moment, but from that moment on. Freedom. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, right now that you would talk to our hearts and our minds. Highlight the reality of our journey to us right now. And if there are aspects of who we are that are Keeping the chains on, keeping us bound up. That at the name of Jesus, we would allow you to begin to break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Maybe there's some folks here today that just need to spend some time in prayer. We have some prayer warriors here with us today that would love to support you in that. I want to invite our prayer team to just come and just be in place, make themselves ready. Whoever's here. And if to the rest of us, if the Holy Spirit is, is tugging on you to maybe just has a burning bush moment for you right now, this space up here up front, these steps are designated altars right now for you to sit at the feet of Jesus and call on his name. We're going to do so with, with silence. We don't need music for this. We don't need any effects to help us with this. Just, just the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you want to spend some time in prayer, you need to do so. I just invite you to get out of your seat and move up here and spend some time at the feet of Jesus.
that declaration today. Our lives are yours. We are your people called by your name. We've made the choice today to humble ourselves in your presence, to dig into your word, and we ask that as we continue to turn <coughs> from, from our sin and, and press into grace and forgiveness and empowerment that you will heal our land that is that you will heal our our personal lives you will heal our marriages our our families heal our nation and our world you are the you are the solution. You are the answer. You are the light of the world. It begins with our own journey with you. Thank you for the story of deliverance. It doesn't just start and, and, and then stop with Moses' generation. But it's a story of deliverance that that has continued throughout history, and we are living it out now. The power of the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. If you stand with me, I want to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace and his power this week. I pray you have an amazing one, and we will see you next Sunday.